Saints of the Lord, would you please open your copy of God's Holy Word to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. This morning we're going to be looking a second time in a series of sermons on what I'm calling the divine life. The life that the Lord Jesus is calling us, His life, the divine life of Christ mediated to us through the vine, through the branches. It's my conviction that this, is, this particular passage is one that the Lord wants us to grasp and to believe and lean into heartily as a congregation. I believe it is His Word for us at such a time as this. So I'm going to ask you to stand together as we read together. Read John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me... Ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what you will. And it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. And so shall ye be my disciples. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, I ask this day in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that name which is above all names, that you yourself would implant this passage deeply on our heart and on our conscience. Lord, I ask that today you would work in us to believe what is said here, to learn to lean into Christ in every situation throughout our day, to abide in Him to seek more and more fruitfulness for the glory of Him, for the expanse of Your kingdom, and for our joy in the Lord. Father, forgive us that we are so easily satisfied so often with things that are not joy, with the passing pleasures of sin, the deceitfulness of riches, with the trinkets of this world and this vanity fair in which we live. O Lord our God, Cause us to abide, cause us to believe, cause us to lean and to love Christ, and make us, Lord God, fruitful, we pray, abundantly fruitful, more fruitful. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated, brethren. As we were on our way to Texas this past week, we got down into Texas and not too far from the camp where we set up shop for a few days at Trinity Pines in East Texas. There was a place where we were driving along a long stretch of road 
And as you know, if you've been to East Texas, there's just pine woods in places for miles and miles and miles. And mosquitoes and fire ants and all kinds of other stuff too. But pine woods. Let's focus on the pine woods for a minute. And I was smelling it and taking it in and reminding me of my childhood days when I, I used to attend a summer camp every year, uh, not far from where we had Presbytery this year. Uh, and I got out of the car this, this time and, and I took a big whiff and I was reminded of that smell of pine needles. Uh, and it took me back. But as we were driving along the way, not far from Journey Pines, there came a, a point where along one stretch of a road, the, the pine trees were really thick on the one side, but you could see that they had deliberately burned off a good deal of the underbrush. All along the ground was burned, charred. And consequently, all these pine trees along that section, the lower branches along them were also scorched. They, they were still attached, mind you. They were in the tree. They weren't burned completely off, but they were dead. There was no green in them. One of the things I love about evergreen trees is that Unlike so much of what we see here in Illinois, down there, no matter evergreen trees, they stay green year-round. So if you get a branch that's not producing, it's just flat out not green. There's just no missing that. And there were brown branches in these trees all along the bottom from the fire. They'd been cut off from the life of the branch, of, of, the, of the trunk of the tree, even though they were still functionally attached. This is a great, I think a really helpful picture of what Jesus is wanting you and I to see today. Those branches, though attached, they were unable to bear the life of the trunk. They were unable to be green because there was not in them anymore. They were hard, dead wood, charred, unable to carry the life of the vine, the life of the trunk. Brothers and sisters, our Lord Jesus today in this passage as we continue has some things similar for us to grasp. And I pray by the Lord's grace that we do. Because this is both a wonderful and glorious message as well as one of utmost, of utmost warning. What I want us to see in this passage today really are just two key things. Number one... I'm going to call two requirements. Two requirements that are necessary in order to bear much fruit. There's actually three he gives in this passage, but we're going to focus on two today. We'll look at the third one being abiding next, uh, next time I preach. But two today, and then secondly, at two results that are distinguished here. Two outcomes. So first, look at the two requirements. Look in verse 3. This is really going to be the key of our focus today. The Lord Jesus, in verse 3, says these words, Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Now this is really important for us to grasp this. As we look at this briefly, I want you to hold your place in John uh, 15 here, where we're looking, verse 3. And I want you to turn back maybe a page in your Bible to John chapter 13. John 13. You'll recall that this 
whole section from 13 through 17 is one kind of long extended discourse. It begins in the upper room with the disciples having the Lord's Supper. Then we get to the end of chapter 14 where Jesus says, come let us go from here. And the assumption is that they continue to talk as they're walking down through the valley on the way to the Mount of, uh, the Mount of Olives for Jesus, the Garden of Gethsemane to pray before he is killed. So here we are at the Lord's Supper. Jesus had taken up the towel. Jesus says this in John 13, verse 10. Jesus said unto him, that is to Peter, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And ye are clean. The same words in John 15, verse 3. But not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, ye are not all clean. As we consider this issue of cleanness and what Jesus means here, it's really important, first of all, that we understand who the ye is. This is not just a general word that speaks to everybody in the visible church. This is not a word that applies to everybody necessarily that you see that professes the name of Christ, although I pray by God's grace it would apply, that it would be true. This issue of being clean, he says specifically here in John 15, 3, is to those apostles who were not Judas. In John 13, 2, it was said there that the Satan had already entered into Judas's heart. And when Jesus takes up the basin and the towel to wash the feet, he washes Judas's feet as well. But you know from the other Gospels that shortly thereafter, he says to Judas, go, what you do, do quickly. Judas leaves. So now here they are in John 15, having left the supper, walking through the valley. Jesus says to the remaining uh, uh, disciples with him, ye are all already clean. You're already purified. This word clean that is used here has the idea of purified. Purified within and also purified without, externally. First and foremost, it has the idea of purified in their heart. That is to say that these disciples who remained with Jesus had pure hearts. You remember Jesus in Matthew 5. Blessed are the pure, the clean in their heart. For they shall see God. They shall see God working. That's not just a promise, an eschatological promise that they would see Him on the last day, though it certainly is that. John, 1 John 3 says that we know that when He comes, we will see Him as He is, for we shall be like Him. But what Jesus is saying in Matthew 5, 8, Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those whose heart is holy toward the Lord. Without reservation. Holy surrendered to the Lord. Those who love the Word. He, he says here, and we'll get on to this in a minute, but He says, Ye are clean through the Word which I have spoken unto you. These remaining disciples had all responded again and again to the word of the Lord. They had walked with Him through three and a half years. They had heard His teachings. And while they were sometimes incredibly dense, and we see examples of Jesus getting on them for their slowness to believe, 
to understand. He says, are you still hard of hearing? Are you still unable to understand? When you have them quarreling about who's, who's going to be best, we see Jesus again taking up the basin of the towel. They're slow to learn, but they had a willing heart. Judas was not clean. Because Judas, brothers and sisters, though he walked and talked with Jesus for those three and a half years, he did not love Jesus. He did not love His words. They had no place in Him. The Spirit was not working in Judas' heart. There was no conviction. He was, as it were, dead wood in the branch of Christ. We need to understand this. Jesus pronounces these disciples who had remained with Him. He says, Ye are clean through the Word. Said the word cleanness refers first and foremost to the purity of heart. Look, if you would, real quickly again at a familiar passage. Matthew chapter 15. Let's read this again out loud because this is, Jesus says here, really explains really well what this cleanness refers to. This internal cleanness of heart. Jesus speaking to the Pharisees says, Hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about ye, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me. Teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men. When Jesus had called the multitude to Himself, He said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, is to say that makes him unclean. Rather, it is what comes out of his mouth that defiles a man. His disciples came and said to Him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? And Jesus answered, said to them, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. It should sound to you very much like what Jesus is saying in John 15 about fruitless branches that ultimately are cut off. More on that in a minute. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a ditch. And Peter answered and said unto him, Explain this parable to us. So Jesus said, Are ye also still without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatever enters into the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come out of the heart. And they defile a man. They render him unclean. The words, the actions that come out of the person are what render them unclean, for they reveal what's in the heart. Jesus says, For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. Just to say, look at what's coming out, and that tells you what's inside. Remembering Jesus' words to the Pharisees, you recall, in, in Matthew chapter 23, He hits this so squarely, and I want you to hear this again. Matthew 23, verse 25, and following, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they're full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and the dish, that the outside of them may also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are all like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside you're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. 
Even so, you outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Brothers and sisters, that's what unclean is. Cleanliness, when Jesus says they are clean, the idea is that the hearts of the disciples, though weak in so many areas, they loved the Lord, they wanted to please Him, they wanted to be more like Him, to be more with Him, and His Word had a place with them. You remember true disciples who were clean. You remember in John 6 when Jesus gives those hard words about, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you have no place in me. You'll recall at the very end of that chapter, it says something very astonishing. Verse 60 and following. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard it, notice it says of them that they were disciples. They were following Jesus. They were listening to him. But many of them, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? Jesus goes on then and asks the disciples, when they complained, does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life just like the branch gives life to the the, the the vine gives life to the fruit through the branch it is the, it is the sap it is the life of the of the vine that you see in the fruit the spirit gives life the flesh profiteth nothing the words that i speak to you the words that i speak to you they are spirit and they are life there are some of you who do not believe. Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray Him. It sounds very much like what we saw in John 13. Then this astonishing thing. Jesus says, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to Me unless it has been granted to him by My Father. From that time, many of His disciples went back and they walked with Him no more. And Jesus said to the twelve, do you also want to go away? And you notice Simon Peter answering so often as he does on behalf of the twelve. <laughs> notice Judas didn't answer here because he knew who would be betrayed. But look what Simon says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have come to believe and to know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus goes on and says, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil, speaking of Judas. Jesus had chosen all twelve. There was no mistake in his choosing Judas, even though Jesus knew fully well that Judas was unclean. We need to wrap our minds around this, brothers and sisters, and more our heart. The key characteristic Again, of not only what comes out of a person that shows whether their heart is clean and pure toward the Lord, but how do they respond to the Word of God? Jesus says here, Ye are clean through the Word which I have spoken unto you. In John 6, He said that those words are spirit, they are life. It begs the question, does it not? Are we... Are you or am I the sort that, as Peter says in 1 Peter 2, who desire the pure milk of the Word that you may grow thereby? Or is it stunted growth ultimately dying because we do not love the Word and it has no place in us? 
Are we, as it says in James chapter 1, verse 22, verse 21 rather, where we are told to lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. Judas was certainly a hearer, but he was not one who sought to do. But the ones who were clean that Jesus pronounced were those who had followed him, who were still with him despite those hard words, who said along with Peter, where else would we go? Yes, these are hard words. Yes, Jesus is talking about taking up His cross. Yes, Jesus is talking about dying that you may live, about losing all if need be for His sake. Jesus is telling you to turn the other cheek, to bless those who curse you, pray for those who spitefully use you. And yet those who were clean said, Lord Jesus, to whom else will we go? You have the words of eternal life and they are life to my soul. Brothers and sisters, are you clean today? Children, you need to think about this. Your faith may be weak, but can you honestly say to me, Elder Morris, when I hear the word of God, I desire it. Maybe not as much as I ought, but it, I desire it. Or you such that when pricked would honestly say, I listen to the Word of God, but I can't wait for it to be done because it is onerous to me. When can we move on and get on to the stuff that actually matters? That's where Judas was. Brothers and sisters, do you love the Word of God? Do you count it life to your soul that's what it means when he says, ye are clean through the word which I have spoken to you. That word which goes through veins in the branches which conduct the life, the spirit to the fruit so that the fruit ultimately is just the overflow of the life of the spirit that's in the vine. The branches are just conduits, folks. The fruit, the, the branch has no life in itself. I can take a, cut a branch off of a tree, but I will never get fruit growing off that branch because the branch is merely a conduit of the life of the vine. But in order for that life to flow through, the conduits have to be clean. The problem with dead wood that's still attached to that tree like the trees I saw is that though they still, they're not held on by duct tape, those lower branches truly were of the same external wood as the tree. And if you looked at them externally, the wood from the tree branch just goes right up onto those dead branches and it looks like the same wood. But if you were to cut it off and look on the inside, what you would see is that there is no, the veins which to conduct the life of the sap are hardened or charred, they're dead. There's nowhere for the life to go. That's why Jesus, if you look further down, He makes this point in verse 4 and 5, I am the vine, ye are the branches, he that abideth in me, and don't let these next words miss on you, and I in him. Verse 6, if a man abide not in me, he's cast forth as a branch and withered, and so on. Verse 5, I am the vine, ye are the branches, he that abideth in me, and I in him. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you. 
This is so, so important, brothers and sisters. We need to understand, because this, this is a hard text, let me be honest with you. Jesus has told us something which our Reformed ears struggle with. In John 15, 2, He has spoken there, and I don't believe Jesus misspoke when He said this. He speaks of every branch in me that beareth not fruit, gets taken away. And He speaks of branches in Him that do bear fruit. I got to tell you, I have seen many, I've seen several beloved men I was reading one commentator this past week who I have dearly appreciated so much over the years and who has blessed my soul so much. But on this passage, the basic thing he said here was whatever Jesus means by a branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, it's kind of like an R-O-U-S. I don't believe they exist. Now let me be clear we will in no wise undermine the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. Those who are in Christ and He in them. By the Spirit. Romans 8 says that all those who belong to Christ have that same Spirit by which we know that we are sons of God. Those who ultimately are cut off, cut off, or do not have that Spirit in them. They don't have the life coming in them. But we need to be clear that Jesus does speak here in some sense of branches in me. So what does Jesus mean by that? The branches that are in Him which are cut off obviously are not clean. They're Judas's. They're not clean. They're not pure. They can't conduct the life of the vine. They can't be fruitful. They're like those charred branches on the bottom of those trees. And yet, in some sense, those branches on the bottom of those trees I saw weren't being held on by duct tape. You look at them externally and you would look and it looks like they're in the branch. What's going on? We need to understand, beloved brothers and sisters, that this in me concept, first and foremost, speaks of covenantal relationship. For us to bear fruit, there must be an in me as well as him in us. What Judas had in some sense as one who ultimately was cut off is the prototype of that. In some sense, Judas was in covenantally with Jesus. He had walked with him for three and a half years. He had heard him. He had you know, he may have even had his heart stir with affections on certain things here and there. But the life of the Spirit did not dwell in Judas. It was not in him. But we don't want to minimize covenantal realities. When we baptize our children, brothers and sisters, we need to believe our confession that in a very true sense they are in Christ. There's the necessity of abiding and perseverance, and that comes through the Spirit of Christ. Holy is a gift, apart from any works, all of grace. But the covenantal relationship is real. Consider Romans chapter 2 and 3. I'm going to ask you to look at these words with me. This is really important. Romans chapter 2. Actually, let me start with Romans 3, and then we'll look at the verses immediately preceding. Look at verse, Romans 3. Verse 1 and following. What advantage then has the Jew, or what profit is circumcision? Notice what he doesn't say there. 
Nothing. <laughs> oh no. Paul says much in every way. Chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. To them were committed the word of God. Just as Jesus says in John 15, 3, that they are, the ones who are clean are clean through that word which he has spoken to them. Israel had the oracles of God. And as if that weren't enough, in Romans 9, he goes even further. Romans 9, 3, Paul says, I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God and the promises of whom are the fathers and from whom according to the flesh Christ came who is over all the eternally blessed God. That is no small list of benefits and realities of the covenant that come to those who are in that covenant. To every child, uh, all the children of Israel, those who had been circumcised according to that covenant, those benefits there were theirs. But what they didn't have was the life and faith of Abraham, did they? They did not have the life of the Spirit. They were covenantally in the they were covenantally in, but they were not organically in. They were, as it says in Hebrews chapter 6. These are stern warnings, but we need to hear them. I'm not going to give an explanation of this passage. I just want you to listen to the Word of God. This is a hard passage. They are those, those who are in Him in that sense, covenantally, but then fall away and don't have the life of the Spirit in them, are those, as, as the author of the Hebrews says, who may have tasted the good Word of God, the powers of the age to come. But they fall away. In this case, they're cut away, it says in John 15. They can't be renewed to repentance because what they're doing is they're crucifying again for themselves the Son of God, putting Him to an open shame. Verse 4, they had perhaps been enlightened in some way. Perhaps they had tasted of the heavenly gift in some way. Tasted it. In some sense they had been partakers. They had seen the work of the Holy Spirit in and among the people of God. Just like Israel saw the miracles. They saw the signs. They saw God in the cloud and the fire. When the Lord did those things, all of Israel partook in it, and yet in a very real sense, they are, as Hebrews 6 goes on and says in verse 7 and 8, For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it, it bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated, receives blessing from God. There's the clean branches. Verse 8 though, But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. There's the unclean branches attached to the tree covenantally with all kinds of amazing and wonderful, real and true blessings, but lacking the life of the Spirit. Lacking the Spirit of Christ. Lacking a pure heart that loves Jesus. This whole issue of Purity, of course, is very vital also to our calling as believers. 
this cleanliness. You remember when you hear the word clean, that should evoke all kinds of Old Testament imagery, should it not? We should be back in Leviticus at this point. 11 through 15, the laws of purification, of bodily discharges, of leprosy, and, how, and all that, and, and how you cleanse and you purify, and the priest would verify that someone had been healed or that a household was free of leprosy. We see Jesus in the Gospels on several occasions. He reaches out and he heals lepers, and he says, go to the priest and show, give, do the sacrifice and show, your, show, him, show yourself to the priest to verify that you've been cleaned. The idea, though, of cleanliness has first and foremost to the idea of that being set apart as a priestly, kingly people. Revelation says that you have made us kings and priests unto our God. But the cleanliness of heart, which characterizes true disciples, also is important because that purity then must characterize our calling. The priests were called to be clean. You can read about this in Leviticus chapter 10, which comes incidentally right before the four chapters on the cleanliness laws. The Lord starts in Leviticus 10 with the laws about the priest, and it says there that they were to be clean, and he gives the descriptions of that and what that all involved, of the putting the blood on the ear and sprinkling the blood and the anointing the head, but the cleaning and the washing of the body with the water. All the idea being that priests to the Lord to fulfill our priestly calling to represent God to the nations and to represent uh, people before the Lord we must be clean a pure of heart or else we're defiled and we're unable to draw near like Hebrews talks about you remember we were preaching about that let us draw near in full assurance of faith with a what with a pure heart and bodies washed with clean water that's the idea. If we're going to be accepted before the Lord, brothers and sisters, and our priestly service will render the fruits and the blessings that God intends it, we must be clean and pure of heart. What's interesting is when we do that, and when we are clean inside, what happens is it becomes contagious. One of the things I've loved about Rosaria Butterfield's book as we've been reading it is this phrase she keeps using, contagious grace. Just as Jesus reaches out and touches lepers, which would have made him ceremonially defiled under the Old Covenant, but now Jesus reaches out and touches lepers, and he is not defiled, rather they become clean. You see something amazing is that when God's people are pure of heart, what it does is it has a way of purifying those with whom we come in contact. The more we touch them, we actually can change things instead of always running from impurities, always fleeing like the men who saw the Samaritan on the side of the road. The priests who wouldn't touch the almost dead man laying there, lest they be defiled, they can reach out and impart their cleanness to him and they become clean. That's part of the glory and the beauty of the new covenant, brothers and sisters. I love the way Paul puts this in Titus. Just let these words come over you. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable, disobedient, disqualified for every good work. So there's a clear distinction. To the impure, they, they pollute everything they touch. When your heart is not right towards the Lord, you actually become dispensing uncleanness. It's contagious. 
But when your heart is right towards the Lord, he says, to the pure, all things are pure. You make things you come in contact with pure. How could Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm aware of verses. You know, we think of, for example, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, right? The Apostle Paul there says, Be not deceived, brethren. Evil company corrupts good morals. And I know many of us, we've, you know, we're going to pull back. Part of our goal, we need to step away, get out of the world, away from all those unclean people who are corrupting our kids, corrupting our families. Now there is some wisdom in that. 2 Corinthians 6 does indeed say, Come out from among them and be ye separate, says the Lord, and I will be your God and ye shall be my children. Goes on in 7 verse 1, let us perfect holiness and cleanliness in the fear of God. There is a sense in which the world can defile us, and we must always be on guard from that. But I ask you, brothers and sisters, as priests unto the Lord, do you see yourself and say, the Lord has made me clean of heart. I desire the Lord. I love the Lord. I want good for Him. And therefore, I can come in contact with sinners, unbelievers, and by God's grace, through prayer, the Lord will use me just as the branch to impart the life of the vine to them, to make them clean. That is part of the glory, that is the beauty of the new covenant, brothers and sisters, is Jesus working in and through you and me to make others clean, to give them the life of the vine, to bear fruit. Just wonderful. So as we talked about those in covenant and me who are dead branches, I wanted to read you the other part of Romans I read you Romans 3 and 9, but look what he also says in Romans 2. And this is the key. Look at the very end of Romans 2. For your circumcision, this is verse 25 and following, your circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you're a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his circumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, in other words, the physically, by the Jewish standard, unclean, if he fulfills the law, will he not judge you who even with your written code and circumcision in Moses are nevertheless a transgressor of the law? And then here's the words, For he is not a Jew, ultimately, who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. He is a Jew who is one inwardly. Circumcision is that of the heart. It is that of the spirit. Not in the letter whose praise is not from men, but from God. So brothers and sisters, I'm going to come back to the question again. We're going to go on in this passage and we're going to see the Lord talking to His disciples, to those who He has just pronounced clean about abiding. And we're going to look at that in our next message. I intend to look at that at length. What does it mean to abide in Christ? But before we can even talk about abiding, we must know that you are clean. That you can conduct the life by God's grace of the, of the vine through you and that your heart is cured. That the filter 
You know, if I have, if I have our Berkey filter at home, right? We've got our big Berkey. But every so often, I, we have to clean that thing out and change the filters because otherwise the impurities in the water are going to start coming out through the filter down there. Or if it gets bad enough, the water may not come out at all. The filter is that clogged, it can't conduct the water. When a person has their a limb amputated, you know, frostbite's a great example of this. You've ever seen somebody with severe frostbite who has to have a finger or something amputated? What happens is, is that the, the tissue has become dead so that the blood can no longer flow. So they have to cut it off because it's, while the finger maybe is still attached to the hand, it's in the hand in that sense, yet the lifeblood of the finger, the lifeblood cannot flow, and it is a dead thing. There are some here today, and I want to challenge us with this as we close. There are some today, and I want us to search our hearts. There are some today in our midst who I know who would have to say, Steve, when I hear the Word of God, I hear it, but it has no place with me. Honestly, I, I, I despise it. I just wish it would be over. I hear us talk about Jesus, come to His table, but it doesn't mean anything. It's not my life There's others who are covertly defiant. We use the Word of God, but it does them no good. There are some who are openly defiant and just flagrantly, you can't do anything to me, you can't talk to me, I don't want to be here. Brothers and sisters, as we go forward today, I don't want to over-theologize this. I want to ask you a simple question and I want to make sure that every one of you who's here by God's grace before you leave today can affirm this. Say, Brother Steve, I am clean. I'm not perfect. I sin. I struggle. I fall on my face. But like Peter, I desire the pure milk of the Word to grow thereby. I want to hear the words of Christ. I want them to live in me. I want to be conformed to Christ. Brothers and sisters, today I plead with you in the name of Jesus Christ, who is the vine. I plead with you in the name of the one who is worthy of all desire, all glory, who is beautiful beyond compare. I plead with you in the name of an all-satisfying and sufficient Savior who is the fullness of God, who longs to live and work through you. Today, respond to the Lord. Say, Lord, whatever else you've got to do, Lord, make me clean so that I can conduct the life of Christ and that fruit will come out of me. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, I pray today that you would simply work in us, Father. As I have heard this week 
of other churches where I see the work of the Spirit working, we see revival taking place, as I hear of teenagers, young adults, young gathering and, and prayer, 30, 40, 50, 60, pouring out their hearts to you, and I see you moving, as, as I see people who were thought to be beyond almost salvation in a worldly sense coming, people who were so lost and so dark, and the prodigals who are coming and have been radically saved and brought into your church through the work of other churches. Lord, I plead with you. I plead with you, Lord, that you would let the light of your scriptures, let the light of your word and your spirit work in our hearts and make us clean, Father. I pray, Father, that you would cut off all dead wood in our lives. I pray, Lord, that anything that is holding us back Anything that we are holding on to is a substitute for Christ, for His Spirit and His Word. Anything that we are doing that might otherwise be not necessarily sinful, but which is like dead wood, impeding the life of Christ in us. Lord, cut it off, Father. Make us clean within and without. We ask this, that you would do this for your holy name's sake and for our joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.